it's hard, isn't it? When you have knockback after knockback and, and disappointment after disappointment to just put yourselves back in that very vulnerable position again. But when it works, then of course the reward is huge. I'm Chris Lawson. In 2015, I started my journey into the world of IVF. Along the way, there was heartache, pain, wacky diets, loss of faith, and a lot of needles. It's a roller coaster ride at the best of times, and as I sat in the fertility clinic waiting room, many times alone with my thoughts, I realised that men don't talk about fertility much. That's why I decided to start up this podcast, IVF Dad. This is my story, and it features some of the experts we've met along the way, complete with advice, support, and money-saving tips. Episode 12, The Last Throw of the Dice. We are now three and a bit years in, £60,000 worse off, if not more. And it's 2019. And as a recap, the year before, we'd done a fresh round and we put it on hold as we were exhausted. This was about August time. And we were getting married later on in the year. The financial burden and the emotional burden was weighing heavy on us and everyone in a way. And we needed to bring this to a conclusion one way or another. Everyone knows that we're still plugging away at it and it's difficult to take. So as an example, before we were married, I'm down the pub with my best mate and he says, I've got someone to tell you, fella. And I say before he does, your missus is pregnant again, isn't she? And he nods with tears in his eyes. And we both know that he desperately wants me to have one of my own. And he calls it the hardest conversation of his life. Our family is willing us on to get to what we want, but with different ideas of how to get there. And we know we're running out of time as well as cash. I'm 47, Trish is 43. But, you know, Trish and I, we are in good shape. We're newly married, we're healthy, we're feeling recharged, and we're not giving up. You know, we we are resilient. And in February 19, we're back from honeymoon, and we went through the routine again. This is going to be the one this time. It's another fresh round, schedule on the fridges, more drugs, more needles, scan appointments. And before you know it, Trish has got another nine eggs. And then we get another four embryos. Four embryos, a year on, and we're still getting the same sort of results. That's got to be fantastic news. But you know what we have learned? We're going to send them off for DNA testing before putting them back in, rather than putting them back in one at a time and seeing what the results are, which can really mean that it can take over a year to put four back. And we go to climb Mount Snowden, my stepbrother and his girlfriend, one last break before we go back into the embryo transfers. And we're sat in the back of a car and we're checking that we have reception, waiting for that call from the embryologist. And Trisha's phone rings and I can hear her go, yes, that's me, and give her date of birth as usual. And then I hear her go, okay, oh, really well, thanks for letting me know and the phone goes down. I'm expecting her to whisper the news or hold on to it until we're out of the car. It still feels like a very personal experience and my stepbrother and partner are in the front. 
And Trish is looking at her phone and I'm thinking, that's cool, we're almost there, I can handle that, I'll just wait and then ask her once we get out. If it's one or if it's two, who cares? And then she texts me, none of them worked. Yeah. And as I try and hold myself together and take her hand, both of us seat buckled into the back seat of the car like kids, I feel incredibly vulnerable and lost. And she looks at me and I just see that sadness in her eyes that breaks my heart, even now thinking about it. Back down the snakes and ladders again. We try and put it out of our mind and enjoy the rest of the break. But when we're back home, we meet up with Dr. Taylor and we talk about options. In my experience, when I'm thinking about somebody that I'm going to see for a follow-up consultation, I'll go back and look at the the history and what's happened. And I'll start to think about what we might discuss. And sometimes I'll write, query, is it time to stop now? If I've reached that point, what I'll interestingly usually find is when I start to gently broach that, they've often got there themselves anyway. I thought it was worth just reflecting on her note to us, actually, after the consultation. After every single consultation, she used to write a, a detailed note as to what we talked about. Here's a summary. We used ICSI to select the best sperm and it was easy to find a great one sperm and nine fertilised normally. And this was a good cohort of embryos. By day five, there were three good quality blastocysts suitable for biopsy and a further fourth on day six. Unfortunately, genetic analysis has shown that they are all genetically abnormal and therefore not suitable for using, which was very disappointing. They still have one genetically normal embryo frozen from a previous stimulation cycle. The letter then goes on to discuss how we proceed. And the conclusion is, unfortunately, I think it's probably time to focus on a genetically normal embryo and hope that this will bring a positive outcome. We also agreed that if it didn't work, then we would move to egg donation. I wish them both all the very best with the transfer of a frozen embryo. I very much hope this brings the positive outcome they deserve. A few weeks later, I'm in a curry house with my best mate. And the only way I can describe it is managing expectations. How did it go, fella? Well, we're trying it again. We've got one final embryo left. It's a frozen one. uh, So you never know. And if it doesn't work, then we will move on to donation. What do you think about that? It's an impossible question for him to answer. And he really only gives the only answer there is. Mate, they will be yours. Whatever happens, you will be bringing them up and you will be amazing parents. We knew we had one more throw of the dice and then we were going to have to make some tough decisions, walk away from one table and join another. And we were still on the waiting list for the egg donor. And we got our heads around it now. And then we're in. It's the 2nd of May 2019 and Alison has changed her schedule so that she can be the one that does the embryo transfer. They defrosted the embryo that had been in the freezer from before our wedding and we're in the waiting room again. That waiting room where you wait for bloods, wait for scans, wait for news, wait for something to happen. 
And there's fragments of conversation where you hear, what numbers did you get? Who do we see now? What are we waiting for now? And I'm there and it's myself and one other man as I wait for Trish to arrive. And I wonder how much longer this is going on for now. You see, couples come into that waiting room that you recognise over a few weeks or months consistently and then they disappear. Good news, you hope, as they move on with their lives and their new opportunities. And I wonder when that will be our chance. It's the 2nd of May and we go into a transfer room. A bit of black humour with Sonia about how nice it is to see her again. The wonderful nurse that's assisted in all the transfers. Trish knows what to do now. She's even worn some appropriate clothing for easy access for once. We're old pros. Now Emma, the embryologist, pops her head through the hatch, cheerful as ever. And when they show you the embryo on the screen, it's as amazing as the first one. We created that. Okay, we haven't got to the end of the journey yet, but this is a new hope, to quote Star Wars. And we go through our routine again. We left, we have a nice lunch that has become our tradition. And we philosophically talk about what if, not all heartfelt and emotional, but more like a five-time seasoned gambler who goes, well, you know, just this time, maybe. If I think about my role in this, I'm so glad I was there. Yes, I felt helpless. Yes, I felt awkward as once again, Trisha's vagina is on display. I'm sitting on that chair trying to look interested, but at the same time trying not to look interested. This is the ultimate imposter syndrome. By the way, some top tips for embryo transfer day. Now, you can't look at your phone. No, you can't crack jokes about coming around for a better look. And no, you can't pretend it's just not happening. A bit of small talk is fine, but don't let the nerves turn into verbal diarrhea. Just hold your partner's hand and let the experts do their job and keep it relaxed. So then we wait again. I go back to work the next day acting casually as if nothing has happened and it's a new client so they are none the wiser. Trish goes back to work as well and acts as if nothing has happened although they do know that we are going through fertility treatment. And it's a, it's a difficult time when you're at work. I won't say it was the most focused time at work I've ever had but reality is if you're going to lose your shit every time there is a setback with IVF, you're going to lose a lot of shit and get very distracted from work. So you have to get on with your day job as well. Then the next night, we go off for a 50th birthday for a good friend. I'm dressed as Austin Powers and Trish is dressed as Annie. It was fancy dress, by the way. Trish doesn't drink, but is dancing her West End musical socks off. How do you tell someone to dance more gently? I don't. We have a great time and act as normal. And it was a bit of a release and Trish disappears off at 10pm and everyone goes, where's Trish gone? No one will believe me if I tell them. Back to the potential pregnancy. 10 days is a long time as you wait again. And again, Trish and I always have this debate about when testing day is. From my perspective, if you test too early and therefore have to do a later test to confirm whether you really are pregnant or not, then why bother with the earlier one? I never won. To a point that I wasn't even sure when testing day was anymore. Trish is in the bathroom and I'm sat on the bed waiting, not for the first time. 
And she comes in and says, I don't think it's worked. My heart sinks again. She says, see, there's just only a faint line. I go, yeah, but that's a faint line. That's a line nonetheless. I hold my breath and take a look. And I say, that looks like you're pregnant. The line over time has grown stronger and four more tests over two days and there is no dispiriting news. It's the same. She is pregnant. We feel excited, uh, we can pinch ourselves, but we have to take deep breaths. We've been here before. And that's one of the cruelest things of IVF. It takes away that naive innocence. And there's always a voice of reason to match the voice of unreason. Okay, let's do a fact check and meet the experts. So how does a pregnancy test work? Pregnancy tests work by checking your urine for a hormone called HCG. I can't actually pronounce it. But your body only makes this hormone if you're pregnant and it's released when a fertilised egg attaches to the lining. So if your pregnancy test results are positive, it means you're pregnant. And there's a hormone produced by cells in a placenta and its production starts from a point which an embryo attaches to the uterus 6 to 12 days after conception. And its concentration increases and peaks between 8 to 11 weeks after conception. And for the first few days, its levels can be pretty low and can't be detected by pregnancy tests. But after implantation, its levels double approximately every 48 hours, making it much easier to detect. And do you know, in the Middle Ages, there was something actually called a Euromancer, given the fantastic nickname of a piss prophet. The role was to try and divine from urine whether a woman was pregnant. And they did this in a number of methods, including whether it rusted a nail, changed the colour of leaves, I don't think IVs were particularly effective. And although modern day pregnancy tests have only been in place since 1970, in Egypt, women had to wee in a bag of seeds and barley. And if they started sprouting, then you were pregnant. And it was much more successful than you think. I remember because you'd got the one normal embryo sitting in the freezer and then Trish had felt very strongly that she wanted to do another cycle while she was still producing eggs. And then that last stimulation cycle, unfortunately, produced four embryos that all tested abnormal, which was really disappointing. And, it, and it, do you know what? It's so funny because it takes me back and, and you're looking at it and thinking, right, we've got, we've got four embryos here. Surely, surely one out of four might prove to mm. be successful and it was it was like 25 mm. percent chance mm. we had one good one and three that didn't make the grade and i think at that point we just took a, a deep breath and thought actually let's just put this one in the freezer and concentrate on the wedding yeah and also it would mean that we could both have a drink as well yes. which really was on our <laughs> mind i think we earned it by i then. think fair enough actually after all of that and we we got married we went on honeymoon and we came back and we thought, do you know what? All the planets are going to align. And, and I remember we sat down with you and, and Trish was really insistent that she wanted to do another, another fresh one. round. Yes. But sadly, that one, we sent them all off for genetic testing and they all came back negative. Mm. And you know, putting, putting aside our one in the freezer, I, I think that was, that was a moment that 
Trish and I actually did start to think about alternatives mm. seriously. We were already on the register. We'd already seen the counsellor and we'd started to think about egg donation and it was quite a big moment for us. I think we'd been talking about it for a while, hadn't we? I think you'd already got yourselves on the egg donation waiting list, which some couples can't do, actually. They find it really difficult to even think about other options until they're Mm. completely sure that they've done everything they want to do with their own eggs or sperm. I think there came a point where once we accepted that what we really, really wanted was our genetics, it almost became easier to let that go in a way because you don't always get the perfect answer but actually what we really wanted was a family Mm. and and we really wanted you know something that would add to what we had as a couple but of course we we still had one last attempt um we had one to to defrost yeah thinking of it and well we've got one frozen embryo and Mm. you never know so Mm. let's put it back and the fact that you said let me change my diary so that i can be the one to do that your embryo transfer Mm. i think that that was a very important moment for Trisha and I. I oh. think that will stick with us for a, forever, really. Oh, I absolutely love doing embryo transfers. I mean, a mantra in that room is, where there's an embryo, there is room for hope. And for that reason, I really enjoy doing them. And miraculously, and I, and I don't use that word lightly, um, it, it worked. I think she was a miracle. I, I, actually, sometimes <laughs> when you work in this field... I think sometimes we're all miracles, actually, that we're here at all. When you see how many embryos don't make it, you know, given that we were all um, a blastocyst at some point um, and kind of made it against the odds, really. Uh, you know, I think we're all miracles. But, yeah. but Rosie in particular, yes, from all of those embryos to be that one fantastic one that was going to do it. And I think you and Trish showed an enormous resilience in just picking yourselves up and trying again and I think for couples that are able to do that and it's not easy as you very well know they are more likely to get there in the end one way or another in my experience and it's hard isn't it when you've had knockback after knockback and and disappointment after disappointment to just put yourselves back in that very vulnerable position again but when it works then of course the reward is huge exactly Um, makes it all worthwhile but anyway back to reality Trish is pregnant and the next day she is still pregnant words can't describe how we feel we can't dare to hope we quietly get on with our lives almost holding our breath and we don't change anything. We look at our calendar and we're due to fly over to see Trisha's dad in Ireland and we haven't seen him in over a year so we don't change anything. We think no, we must carry on with our lives and what will be will be. And we're in that plane ready to take off to Ireland and I'm holding Trisha's hand tightly and all the turmoil, all the cost all the crushed dreams, maybe, maybe it will all be worth it. And it's just going to work this time. Trish is pregnant and it's such a wonderful feeling. Next episode is Everything Rosy. We rush back from Ireland as Trish starts bleeding 
And then the long, torturous wait that no one ever talks about starts. Thank you for listening. This has been IVF Dad. I started this podcast to provide support during the lonely fertility journey and ensure others didn't suffer in silence. So please do share it with anyone it can help. Log on to ivfdad.com. I would love to hear from you and hear your stories. For future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, etc. Follow us on Insta and Twitter at ivfdadpodcast. And on the website, check out the email and the show notes. There's some great links, advice and money-saving tips. Stay healthy, stay positive, and remember, it only takes one.